Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. to the podcast. It is episode 38. Every episode we say, what number is it? I looked it up. It's episode 38. I know my own show now. I'm very proud of you. Thank you, honey. And it's October already. It is fall. Hey, we got rain in Southern California two days ago. And we never get rain in the fall. This is really early. And people went crazy. They were like, it's a storm. They sent pictures out like, look what it's, it's raining. (laughs) And how much rain did we get? A quarter inch? Less than a tenth. Oh my gosh. I have a rain gauge. I'm a farmer. I've got a rain gauge, not even a tenth of an inch. But that's so LA to flip out about that little of rain. But it was good to get the moisture in the air, you know? Yeah. And there was thunder and lightning, which we hardly ever get either. It was very dramatic. Yeah. We were by the beach and it was out over the ocean. It was really cool. Yes, yes, yes. It's also fall is harvest time on the farm. And man, I miss the farm right now. All the smells and the energy, the trees are changing, the crops are coming in. We're reaping what we sowed, which I know is a little cliche, but (laughs) it's actually what's happening. So my brother and his wife, Rob and Sandy, they actually harvest together. Sandy drives the combine. Which is like as big as a house. It's like driving a house around. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Rob hauls the grain. They're they're quite a team, and I'm really blessed that I've got them looking out for everything and taking care of the farm when I can't be there. But I know you miss that cycle of the year yep. on the farm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad they're doing that work while you and I stand in a studio recording our voices. <laughs> and speaking of work that's not farm work. Right. We have a gig coming up tonight, Friday night. So if you're listening to this like Friday during the day, you could catch the gig. Which, what are you doing listening during the day? Have you not got work to do? (laughs) (laughs) So what is the gig? The show is a live stream and it will be a singer-songwriter show, which we haven't done in ages. No, and there's a small studio audience, so there'll actually be some live people, but then it's streamed live. And it's free. You can get the link if you go to my website, laurahall.com, and in the calendar on the side, you can get the link. You do have to make a reservation for the ticket, but then it's free. And we'll be doing a bunch of my original music. Which is so great to finally get to do some of the songs that you wrote during the pandemic and also songs that you wrote earlier that like the Sweet Potatoes did and stuff. Yeah, and some of them will be their first time out since I did write them during the pandemic. That makes them world premieres, Laura. Yes, indeed. We have to mention our friend Luke Hannington is playing with us. He's sitting in with us and he plays... Everything. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) there you go. I was going to start naming things, but he can play pretty much anything. He does have a doctorate in music, right? Yes, he does. He's Dr. Luke Hannington. So if he needs to operate on any instruments, he can. (laughs) (laughs) We've got it covered. (laughs) Yes, this clarinet needs new pads. Stat! (laughs) So we're looking forward to that. And you can talk about the show that's coming up now, right? Yes, Officially, you can talk about it. Yeah, dun-dun-dun-dun. I have a big gig coming up, which is I am playing for a musical. It's a West Coast premiere, and it's called Head Over Heels. It features the music of the Go-Go's. Which, that's your dream come true to be a Go-Go, right? One of the Go-Go's. Yes, I loved the Go-Go's. 
I saw them in 1982. They opened for the police. It was right before their big album hit. So people didn't really know who they were yet. Yeah, I didn't know who they were. And I was like, oh, I'm here to see the police. And then here come these five amazing women, and they're about my age. Oh, really? Yeah. And there they were, you know, playing their instruments, singing great harmonies. They wrote all their own material. And they look great in miniskirts. And I was like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Well, you kind of are now if you're going to do the show. And aren't they going to come to the show at yes, some point? Yes, because most of them live in L.A. And so I'm going to get to meet them. Maybe they're sitting at home saying, we get to meet Laura Hall. Oh, thank you. That's very <laughs> sweet. Last episode, I told a story about when I moved to Little Italy in Chicago at the beginning of my career. Well, a few years ago, after we'd been living in L.A. for quite a while, I got hired to do a show back in Chicago. And this story is about that time. Normally, I just tell the story and then we talk about it afterwards. But as you listen to the story, you might think, is this story really true? Yes. This story is burnt into my memory. It's not a so says uh -huh. Rick. It's really true. Yeah. So here's Rick's newest story called Life Goes On. When you grow up in a small town, you know almost everyone. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty good chance you're related to them. So when someone dies, you go to their funeral. Recently, a friend here in L.A. told me that she couldn't go to a funeral of a friend of ours because it was going to be an open casket funeral. Oh, I'm too creeped out to go. I've never been to a funeral where they leave the casket open. I gotta tell you, I can't even count how many open casket funerals I've gone to. It's important to honor the passing of a friend, but dead people in caskets don't freak me out. A few years ago, an older lady from our church passed away. I went with our minister to the hospital to be with the family. Even though it was just her body in the hospital bed, saying goodbye to her was powerful for all of us. It was hard to lose her, but death is an inevitable part of living. So, why did it bother me so much to find a dead woman in the park? I was living in L.A., but I got hired to do a play at Chicago Shakespeare. Living in Chicago for a few months was like going home for me. I started my acting career there. I lived there for almost ten years, and all my wife's family is in the Chicago area. The only negative was that the job was in February. Oh boy, if you've ever endured a Chicago winter, you know it can be brutal. The theater put me up in an apartment building that was a mile from work, so I walked there every day. My walk took me through a park with a playground and then along Lake Michigan to Navy Pier. That wind off the lake was bone-chilling cold. Every day I had to psych myself up for the trek. Then I'd bundle up and head out the door. But one day I came out of my apartment building and it was sunny and in the 40s. That's practically a heat wave in Chicago in February. Parents who had been locked inside with their cabin-fevered children all winter came pouring out of the surrounding apartment buildings like bats leaving a cave. The playground equipment that had been lying dormant for months was suddenly alive again. I stopped and watched the kids for a couple minutes. The energy was infectious. When I turned to leave, I saw her. A young woman, probably in her twenties, sitting against a wall with a notepad in her lap and headphones on. At first glance, she looked normal. 
leaning forward in a relaxed sitting position. But as I passed closer by her, I could see things weren't quite right. One hand was hanging to her side, and her iPod was lying on the ground where it had slipped from her grip. Her chin was resting on her chest. I stopped, turned back, and looked again. Surely she was okay. Kids were playing on the swings right behind her. Twenty feet away, two office employees were having a smoke. A dude on a skateboard flew right by her feet. The urban, tough guy part of me said, Oh, man, keep walking. Mind your own business. But the small-town boy part of me said, Yeah, go check on her, Rick. I walked closer. Hey, kiddo, you okay? You dropped your iPod. Nothing. I was standing right next to her now. I could see her skin was blue-gray. Thick saliva hung from her lower lip and dripped onto her blouse. You okay? Nothing. I touched her arm to see if I could wake her. Hey, miss, you okay? She didn't move. Her skin was cold, really cold. So, this is what a dead person looks like without all the makeup and primping from an undertaker. I stood there for a minute. I was hoping she'd just wake up and say, What are you staring at? Is it because I'm blue-gray? But she didn't move. I watched her chest to see if she was breathing. Nothing. When I was twelve, I took a CPR class with my 4-H club. I know how to check for a pulse. I reached down and picked up the hand that was hanging next to the dropped iPod. I put two fingers on her wrist. Nothing. I moved my fingers around several times. Still, nothing. I knew the pulse in her neck would be easier to feel, so I put my hand on her forehead and gently moved her upright. Nothing. I kept my fingers in place because, well, I didn't know what else to do. I looked around. What's the name of this street so I can tell the ambulance where we are? I don't want to traumatize the kids playing a few feet away, but I need some help here. I guess I should call 911, but this isn't really an emergency, is it? I mean, if she's already dead, what's the hurry? Wait a second. What was that? I felt something move on her neck. Is it a pulse? I held still and waited. Finally, there it is again. It's weak, but it's a pulse. Oh, man, she's not dead. Okay, now I do need to hurry. I held her head up to keep the air passages open, and with my free hand I fumbled my phone out of my pocket and dialed 911. No service. Nothing. Of course. When I really needed a signal, I didn't have it. On TV, the hero can be in an underground lead bunker in the middle of the desert, but he can get a signal. I was caught in a bad cell phone commercial. If Rick had Verizon, the girl would have lived. The doorman from the building across the street stepped outside. Is everything okay? Call 911. He ran inside. As I stood there holding her head, I thought, She's at death's door, and a few feet away there's an abundance of life and a hum of energy from the playground. Man, life really does go on, doesn't it? I looked down at the woman. She had a small notepad in her lap. Normally I wouldn't read a stranger's writings, but I thought it might shed some light on her condition. The writing started out neat and tidy. As the note continued, though, it got sloppier and incoherent. I know it sounds cliché, but there was a line of ink as the pen slipped off the page. As I read the note, I could see her slipping away, too. 
I don't remember exactly what she wrote, but she spoke of getting married and moving to Chicago. She was far away from the rest of her family, had a baby, and felt lost. I heard the siren before I saw the ambulance. As soon as the paramedics got there, I told them what I knew, which was not that much. Then they went to work. A crowd was gathering. I couldn't do anything more, and I needed to get to the theater, so I left. The performance that day seemed surreal. Within an hour, I had gone from holding this girl's head as she clung to life to being on stage in a broad French farce with three hundred people laughing. Man, life goes on. The next day, I stopped by the apartment building on my way to the theater, and the same doorman was on duty. When I walked in the lobby, he looked at me for a second, and then he smiled. Hey, you're the guy. Hey, you're the other guy. Did you hear what happened to that girl? No, I was hoping you did. Okay, it turns out she lives in the building on the other side of the park. A friend of hers showed up before the ambulance left. She called the husband. They all went to the hospital together. I guess that woman has something they call postpartum depression. It's postpartum, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. It happens after you have a baby sometimes. Oh, I can kick your ass, man. She'll be in the hospital for a few days, but she's going to be all right. Wow, man, that's great news. I wish I could stay and talk, but I need to run. Yeah, sure, okay. Uh, hey, hey, we were a pretty good team yesterday, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. As I walked toward the theater to do the show, I knew in just a few minutes I'd be on stage in front of 300 living, breathing, laughing people. Just regular folks out for a show. Boy, life really does go on. Thank goodness. That's such a powerful story, Rick. Well, thanks, honey. And I have to say, that was a hard one for me to write because it was so impactful for me. Well, and for her also. Right, right, right. But I wasn't sure how to put it into words. And yeah, You did a good job. Thank you. Thank you, honey. You know, the girls and I often call Rick Captain Friendly because he kind of sticks his nose into everybody's business. Sticks his nose in everyone's business. Well, <laughs> but yes, but here's an instance where I'm really glad you did, that you didn't just walk by that you stopped to make sure she was okay. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I have one regret from that story is that I don't know that girl. I kind of wish I knew where she ended up and and what her baby is like now. Yeah. And, and her baby would be like, what? A teenager yeah, or something. Yeah, like 15 or something. Yeah. But that's fine. That's the way it was supposed to be. Right. And, you know, I have so much empathy for her because motherhood is challenging, even in the best case scenario. And if she was feeling, you know, isolated and separated from her family and all that, like, I understand how difficult it is. And telling that story reminds me that our girls were little then, and I left for three months and went to Chicago and did this show, and you were yeah. alone with the kids. Yep, and there were times when I went out on tour. I went once for, like, almost six weeks. Right, with Drew Carey and those guys? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and But somehow we did it. We juggled right. it. We managed. Whenever Laura would come home from a long trip like that, she'd say, how did things go? And I said, 
I got the kids fed and the house didn't burn down. <laughs> We're all alive. That's right. And she would go, wow, success. Right. Sometimes that's the best you can that's do. That's the best you can do. But we're always grateful for the work because yes. in the business we are in, sometimes you aren't working. So you're always grateful when you do have the work. Yeah. And, you know, we had a financial planner once who was like, when do you want to retire? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're uh, never. You we, know? we looked at each other like, we don't want to retire. He could not compute that. That like made no sense to him. Finally, I said, um, 70. He was like, oh, thank goodness you said a number. But the reality is, and I was kind of joking when I said it to him, but I said, okay, I don't want to retire. I want to do a show, walk off stage, and then drop dead after a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not after this show. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. On that note, I think uh, we've kind of wrapped up this episode, haven't we, honey? We sure have. Hope you have a great week. Life goes on, folks. 